Hello, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 92 of the Archaeologist Podcast, a show where we discuss everything and anything that has to do with Ark Survival Evolved. I'm your host, Sean D. Knight, and with me are a number of players that are here to offer their insights and opinions on the latest topics, strategies, and upcoming features or patches. As I call it our participants for tonight, say hello to the listeners and how many hours you have in Ark. Rico! Howdy, y'all. Uh, let's see, I'm at 4851, which I think is actually slightly up from before. I don't know. I can't remember. Did, did you get some time to play? I booted up the game in the middle of the week and then had to go wander off when a friend I hadn't seen in three years walked up to my front door. <laughs> this is what happens when I try and play a video game for the last two weeks. Every time, without fail, something. They, they don't want you coming back. Leg day. Hey, I'm at, uh, let's see, 3,944 hours. I'm really trying to get to that 4K club before I go on my vacation. <laughs> Joining us on the podcast for the first time, though he's not unknown to us since he's been active on the comment section, Drake Vanders. Pleasure being here, Sean, and my hours currently is at 19.33. All right. Yes, it's great to have you on, and we hope that you'll enjoy your time here with us. Now, we've got a lot to talk about this week. No sooner were we asking ourselves if Ark Extinction would be announced at this year's E3 when Wildcard offered, offered up a teaser image. The game is now three years old, so happy birthday to Ark. There were some changes made to the Code of Conduct, and if that wasn't enough, BattleEye released a new EULA. And after all of that, we're going to sit down to discuss which shoulder pet is best when it comes to PvP and why. All this and more later on in this episode, but before we get to all that... Let's hit up the YouTube comments. Kibaniko Wolfboy writes, I've got to say uh, that them cabin speed again to the players uh, should stop somewhere around 120 movement speed. You would need to surprise someone still to get the advantage. Uh, as for fortitude, it's for climbing and torpor resistances is what it's usually used for. I think around 60 you could be bare naked and live in the frozen wasteland like a naked nomad. Why anybody would do that, I have no idea. Uh, if Ark didn't make a system like so and made a new system that built on the m amount of work you do, we might see a better balancing with it, but it's doubtful because what it is now set to now is ingrained in everyone and they would complain. Hmm. The thing about the for fortitude I've, I've got to say on that regard, um, like I've had it up to 80 and it's always a case of, yeah, someone could knock me out, but as soon as I hit 50, I automatically pass out. So I don't think fortitude actually does anything for your torpor, personally. Mm -hmm. uh, from what I understand, it makes you get up faster. Yeah, it drains it. Um, but my problem with fortitude has always been there are plateau numbers in fortitude. If you don't put in enough points to get to those plateau numbers, it's pointless. Yeah. So if you don't know exactly where they are ahead of time and you're not planning around that, there's not really much it's going to do for you. Whereas halfway decent armor can take care of the pro uh, the problem, although now the weight uh, the weight issue is a little bit different than it used to be, but eh, for armor is always happy for the cold. Mm. I think the other the other issue as well is like he says, what, 16, you can live in the uh, frozen frozen plains of the of arc um for ragnarok maybe for the island there are actually certain places where you can actually reasonably survive with only like 20 30 fortitude with like hide mm -hmm. oh yeah and there, there are places on uh on freaking uh rag where i mean at one point i respect into all fortitude and this is back when we were still running the server with uh the uh the upgrade bench on it and i had a fully upgraded maximum uh cold resistant set of fur and the murder snow still killed me. 
Albeit, yeah. uh, it took almost two hours, but it killed me. I got injured, and the uh, natural healing stopped being able to overtake the uh, the cold damage. Mm. My problem with Fortitude is that, you know, we've got consumables to deal with heat and cold, so you can keep wearing your flak in the frozen wastelands or the deep desert. Uh, as for Torpor, you know, you wear a pair of uh, ride boots, and it'll be harder to knock you out. If mm -hmm. you get knocked out, you're already pretty much dead for the most part. Oh, yeah. Especially, uh, even though lately I haven't played PvP in a while, mm -hmm. uh, we usually have difficulty settings up so high with Trudons especially, one hit and they just knock you out. So having yeah. just going to keep hitting you, there's, there's just no way of getting yourself back up again. Yeah, basically, and so you might as well say, okay, quit the game, log back on like in an hour. I just don't think it's as important in the late game, to be honest, it's not as useful as the other stats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, say, I did like his second uh, one of his last suggestions about a uh, a more a, a true RP skill element because I have not seen that in a game in uh, I think Oblivion was the last one and it was just a half <laughs> version of it. Uh, Daggerfall was the last time I can think of an, R an RPG with two true RPG sets. That being like if you want to get stronger, you go out and mine. If you want right. to get uh, you know uh, faster, you go run from something yeah. that's trying to eat you. There, there's a there's another game actually which does have something that's more recent to that and uh, Escape from Tarkov is one which has a soft skill system which based on your actions in the game will actually increase the overall like strength endurance um, like metabolisms so you don't starve or die of first so quickly. The problem I find with that system is that unless it's not a foolproof system and if someone can find a glitch to like power charge their soft skills to the extremes they could easily max out that skill to god knows what the level could be. Yeah that is the downside of those. It's also probably why it wouldn't work in an, in an online game real, uh, very effectively. And it's yeah. too late to do that for Ark but that would have been interesting to have a skill tree like that. It would be interesting for certain attributes. I wouldn't say for all of the attributes, like health and um, maybe for, like, if movement speed, for example, was capped, but the only way you could actually level it was just by simply running around. That just reminds me of athletics but, uh, back, back in the old Elder Scrolls days that I was talking about earlier, where uh, you just, uh, while you were going between two places, you just hop the whole way. Yeah. Pretty yeah, much. I used to just throw my guy into the water, put him in a corner, and put the W, press the W key, let it run overnight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the, that is the, <laughs> the the craziest thing about some of those uh, skills. My favorite was finding a uh, stealing something so that the guards are coming after you, but getting behind a, uh, a door and locking it in um, Morrowind. <laughs> it's it's still a more interesting level of meta than just sitting next to a grinder or in a tech. Yeah. yeah. Oh definitely. yeah, definitely. Um, in some ways as well, it's like you could also increase your um, some useless traits such as uh, the food and water uh, mm -hmm. as well just by eating and drinking. Um, of course, I can always just see someone just constantly drinking water to the point where they're going to literally be having a bloated stomach full of water. <laughs> <laughs> Is that water? You got a reaper in you. I remember there was a... There's a uh, Subnautica, if you ate too much, you'd uh, you'd throw up. You'd have to add something like that in there to prevent that. Well, actually, during the beta of Subnautica, it was to the point where if you ate too much, you sustained blood loss. Wow. Yeah, that... Well, it, uh, Just like real It was life. even worse if you were eating raw... <laughs> it was worse if you were eating raw food. 
Well, some raw food was actually beneficial, like eating raw seaweed. You could actually just eat raw seaweed straight up, but if it got anywhere rotten, uh, you would then start having severe thirst problems. That'd be another thing that's kind of interesting if they ever worked into ARC is uh, where food spoilage beyond just, you know, straight up spoiled, you know, just that quick flip from uh, raw to spoiled or something like that, where there was actually uh, yeah. variable effects. Because well, at this stage, the only thing they can really add to the game other than their last DLC is going to be minor tweaks. And if they want to keep the game alive, they're going to have to keep working on stuff like that. Oh yeah, definitely. It's like, there was one mod I was playing recently actually called Survival Plus, and the way they incorporate the spoilage in that is that your raw meat would go to old meat, the spoiled meat would, then it would go old meat to spoiled, and then spoiled would be just basically what you get from meat that's been deteriorated to such a level where it just disappears entirely. But the old meat was that you couldn't cook it, and... It, eating it raw has a benefit, has a disadvantage of giving you diseases. So basically, at that point, it was just a throwaway food for dinos. <laughs> yeah, there, uh, uh, there you go. Another thing, uh, Ark has managed to fail at adding diseases. Yeah. Much like dynamic length bridges. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on that, let's move on. Sorry, I just had to mention those. It's been a few episodes. <laughs> I keep waiting. Actually, actually, you mentioned. Actually, a lot of people mentioned that in uh, podcast ninety one. So it's not that uh, been that long. <laughs> yes, but I haven't said it in a while, and I used to make a point of saying it every episode if I could. True. <laughs> Sunday. <laughs> uh, Jesse Russell simply said, "Dumb waiters, maybe." And I'm not sure what that was. That was uh, last week's episode where we were talking about player stats and a few other things. So, Didn't we talk about elevators at one point? Uh, yeah, we did, actually. That's probably what he was referencing. Some, oh, yeah. no, um, trans, uh, an easier way to transfer stuff around your base. Uh, I yeah, think that the... must be, that's probably what he's talking about. That, that's actually not a bad idea. Dumbwaiters. I'll just say it. I'll save it for later, but a conveyor belt system. Something you can build in-game. That would be... One of the questions that I was going to ask after the YouTube comments, um, because it was originally going to be for YouTube comments, is a possible idea of um, transporting items around the base. All right. Well, then we will hit that up again. Uh, Next Generation Gaming writes, I didn't know Leg Day played Space Engineers. I'm totally not playing it right now as I listen to this podcast. <laughs> uh, I will throw a bone for what button does this because a lot of the functions in the game are bound to a key that does something else in another situation. For instance, the barrel roll on a Terra is always linked to the crouch button. If you move the crouch button, barrel roll moves with it, and so does every other dino-specific action bound to that key. There is no indication in-game telling you any of this, and the wiki, as mentioned in the podcast, is a bit scarce on stuff like that sometimes. That's a very good point. Yeah, the game's this, not there very was something intuitive in some ways. That I, I, back, back in the old days, I always made people unbind their uh, prone key from X for some reason. It had something to do with another function it had. Breaking? Air breaking? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Because, uh... No, there was a. It did something weird, and that's why I had people unbind them. I think it was also because certain mods as well used X as like a tertiary function. Now, this, this was dinos. back in the day when when we were all right. no lifing to hold on to the server back during the early ah. days of transfer. Jay whistle. No, it's been so long <laughs> I can't remember what it was. Eventually they uh, fixed the issue, and it didn't really come up anymore. Maybe like a bugged whistle whistle command that just made everyone stay put, but then you couldn't whistle them afterwards. Yeah. I know that I know that was one of the bugs that they had in like the the old arc. Yeah, that is one thing that uh Walker has yet to really do is fully flesh out and show what 
the keys do because some of these keys have multiple functions such as you know x once again that's the air brake for flyers but it's also the brake for the boat because a lot of people don't know you can stop a boat on a dime mm. x used to be how you threw threw things off your shoulder while you were mounted mm-hmm. people oh, were losing God. their yeah. monkeys. That's that was, was so annoying. Yep, and then I figured out that it's the air brake didn't move with with a prone key, and the throw function was bound to the prone key. <laughs> All right, Drake. So it's time for you to uh, bring back the Great Wall of Text. Uh, okay. So it's not going to be the Great Wall of Text, but it will be adding an extra block to the wall. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so number one, uh, this was a temporary idea from podcast 91 and 89 regarding the issue of body, ba- body bags as a temporary solution to the problem. And this was from another mod, uh, again from Survival Plus, where you could interact with a body by dragging it, but you couldn't actually access its inventory. The only way you could actually get items from said inventory was to destroy the body. And this is basically the idea of how you can put, as a temporary issue, to stop body bags. I would be so, perfectly fine with that. You'd have to kill the person in order to get the stuff on. And onto. therefore, yeah. they have to log back in to have a new body again. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can still drag the body, but it makes it harder to body bag. Because if you were carrying, say, I don't know, you would have to basically pick up all the metal, kill yourself, have yep. someone drag your body... So it's going to be a two-man effort, at the very least, in like a raid scenario. But at the same time, one of the other additions was to have ranged weapons being able to destroy bodies. So you could see someone carrying a body mm-hmm. and just destroy the body, and you could slow them down to a crawl, because <laughs> now you got to, they got to fetch their stuff, their buddy stuff. So I guess I was thinking more along the lines of not figuring out a way to patch it to where it's just harder in general, but just to try to replace it with some in-game object. Yeah, I've always said that the incremental changes are easier to accept by whoever you're making accept them than just doing it all at once. Because if you're just making the cooking and logistics harder, I think people would be pretty upset by that. But once again, that's why we have the dinos. They're supposed to do all the heavy lifting for us. Mm -hmm. This whole body bag mechanic is not supposed to exist. So, like, you could have, like, a uh, a heavyweight dino just going back and forth under your forges, I guess. That's what we were supposed to be doing in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that's, what, that's what I do with, um, like, any... Because pa- people say, oh, parasols aren't useful. Yeah, they are. You can use them in base and just cart backwards metal all the time. Yeah. That's what I do. I mean, kept, one... I always kept a parasol around for my egg collecting. Yeah. I mean, one one of the things as well, uh, I believe in Podcast 91, um, someone mentioned about a tech idea for um, basically recovering your gear. And the idea I had of this was that you'd have a station and a beacon. You could plant the beacon in your inventory, and for, say, every 20 pounds of equipment, it consumed an element. It would transport your items back to the station. But depending on how much equipment you had would determine how much element you used to like transport it back to your personal gravestone of sorts because it, which was a mod as well i believe mm-hmm. uh yeah there was a well there was a uh i don't know about other mods but i remember in uh steampunk completely changed the way i farmed once i had the ability to just recover a bag i just leave it uh leave one of the cryopods right next to the uh any crafter station i'd have one next to craft station one next to a vault one next to the forge and just, you know, go harvest, harvest, harvest. 
uh, just before I hit item cap because that could cause you to lose things when you use the system. Kill myself. Yeah. Pop back, call everything to my inventory, and shout where it needed to go. Yeah. Of course, it was horribly cheap because it just worked. There was no cost or anything to it, but... Yeah, yeah. So, skipping from that and going on a second question, uh, Podcast 90 was um, just some observations about the Arc Avenue on the Ecus, or Ecus, however you want to pronounce it. Um, one of the things that I found it really useful on, like, Scorched and Rag, was the combination of an Ecus and a Vulture as a mobile narc factory. Because yeah. you could just yeah. gather narco berries, use the Vulture to gather meat and uh, spoiled meat, and just make narc on the goes like if you can get one super early at the time you can get the saddle you can just make hundreds and hundreds of narcotic and like no problem at all the other one was i find that the ecus is also the best best for firearm use uh when while riding it i know it might not be popular with a lot of people but <laughs> if you want because with certain dinos like the raptor i find there's too much bounce in the step but if you're yeah. using stuff like a bow or something like that, your arrow could go over the target or too short of the target. But if you're using something, and it, perhaps as you kind of have to use stuff like shotguns and flamethrowers on them in order to be somewhat effective. Whereas with an Ecuse, I'm you can use assault rifles, snipers, pump-action shotguns. You might be able to use a rocket launcher, but I would highly ill-advise it due to the travel time. <laughs> um, the other thing as well, they're probably the best mount for use of a pike or a cattle prod, if you can get close enough due to the AoE effect. And um, plus it's always just nice to be able to use an Ecus for the use of a lance, which is probably the most <laughs> underrated weapon in existence. See, that's where this game, I think, really excels. When you're early game figuring stuff out like that, and you're in the back mm -hmm. of the horse, and you're hitting things with arrows, and it's just, it's too bad that in the late game, if you're not on a Parasair with a middle box, then you're not doing it right. Yeah. yeah. I'd say um, the uh, the Equus and the Ravager have the smoothest gait for shooting from the back of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, number three from this one was the Podcast 89 regarding armor weights. Um, while most of them are fine... The one thing I have an issue with is Desert Cloth. Uh, I don't think mm -hmm. it should be weighing 16 pounds. I think it should be weighing half that. Even yeah. though yeah. you look at the resource requirements, it's pretty much... Even though it says Desert Cloth, it uses the exact same resource requirements as Hide Armor. So really, it should be called Desert Hide Armor rather than <laughs> Desert Cloth. It only just has silk added onto it. Plus, um, most clothes doesn't weigh 16 pounds in general. Yeah, true. Uh, the other thing was, is I believe tech armor, when it's fully powered, weighs nothing. So, like, it, mm -hmm. it's almost weightless when you have it fully powered, but as soon as it runs out, it, you feel the full weight. Um, I, I think, uh, Rico, you actually mentioned as well during that podcast um, about the riot gear as well, about the weight of it. Um, I can certainly attest that having worn 70s-era surplus riot armor, uh, yeah, that stuff is pretty heavy. <laughs> yeah, the, the uh, riot armor always uh, never really bothered me with uh, its weight. Well, once you got a good enough set to be worth it. Yeah, although saying that, it, like, if I had to say on a realistic term, the armor in Ark is more akin to military-grade armor because it protects you against bullets, whereas police-grade armor doesn't protect you against bullets at all. It's rated for, like, blunt 
blunt objects and like knives and spikes uh mostly i mean like a, i think was it a police grade ballistic plate is like six pounds or something like that i'm used um, to the uh what the swat uses stateside which is well much like most of our police gear it's uh just repurposed military gear pretty much yeah <laughs> That's about 20 years ago um Number four, uh, podcast eighty-seven on the topic of bows. Um, touch one of the things that I have found is that the damage of the bows is unaffected by the charge. So, like when you hold down to draw back the bow, mm -hmm. the charge actually only affects the range of the bow. So, for example, the maximum charge for compound and the crossbow have the longest distance while the regular bow is much faster than the two, so you can just fire arrows like nobody's business. The other well, thing I as well... I love our ascendant bow. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's, the ascendant bows are really, really useful. A compound bow does do more damage with stone arrows and flame arrows. It's about 75 damage per hit on a primitive, but they're not efficient for taming use at all, because the trank arrows, I believe, only do like 27 damage. Mm-hmm. Uh, crossbow does 35, I believe, so that's probably the most efficient for taming use, and probably PvP use if you want to actually knock someone out with track oh, yeah. arrows. Then, I, I can't, don't know who actually mentioned about arrow types, but I think if it was an explosive arrow was added, it, only to be used on, by the compound bow, probably because it's probably, it would be made out of metal anyway. Mm -hmm. Explodes on impact, damage same as a grenade, but AoE smaller. Other bow types include electric stone ar uh, stun arrow for a compound to make it more effective for taming use. Maybe like um, a shock dart, but for compound. Yeah, I would use it on people. Amazing. <laughs> um, poison arrow, instead of the poison bomb, the poison arrow works by slowing down the target, but also draining their stamina and maybe straining a little bit of HP at the same time. It'd basically be like Mega Nero poison. Right, yeah, I'd be down for that. Um, the other one was smoke bombs, knock bombs, uh, bomb arrows, basically the same as knock bombs and smoke bombs, except a smaller AoE for balance purposes. Bleeding bone arrows as well uh, as an upgrade for the regular bow. Bleeding Less... bone arrows, wait a minute, what's this? Uh, <laughs> like, less range overall but it will induce a bleed effect if it hits, basically slowing them down and making them take oh. damage. I like that one. Um, and the last one, which I think is mostly RP and communication purposes, is the messenger arrow. Being able to tie <laughs> a piece of paper to an arrow and then fire it at someone to give them a message. Dude, if, it could, if I could just arrow a uh, note to someone's front door, like, and there was a loud enough sound effect, they knew it had just happened. I would so do that all the time. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> or it'd be a case of uh, a bunch of raiders coming up, some guy's the, uh, the speaker saying, we're coming to raid your tribe, and the next thing he knows is he gets a metal arrow to the face and then just reads, <laughs> go away, raiders, we will own you by blocking out the sun. <laughs> so I was more thinking of the fact that I always used to come up with really, you know, uh, uh, well, I won't say it, well, they were kind of complicated usually, but I used to be the one that made the declarations of war and stuff, and I'd have loved to have, like, just been able to send that on an arrow to someone's door. Yeah, exactly. And have it, like, go yeah. off in, uh, in <laughs> chat when that happens or something. Mm-hmm. And the last, uh, well, not really question, but more so 
a, a little story regarding uh, cattle prods for me was how during uh, a tenure as an admin on a PVE server in the tribe, all our admins were issued riot armor, gas masks, 10 gas grenades, a couple of riot prods, all for the purpose of calming down riot situations within the tribe. So yeah. you just see about two or three guys running around shocking and poisoning people that were getting too rowdy. They often like to just run around and punch people for no reason. That was usually how people <laughs> trolled each other in our tribe, dropping narcs in the middle of yeah, I don't know fight. what you're talking about, like. Tink, tink, tink. <laughs> Then mm -hmm. just, you know, what's that? Rico's gone. The best the best one for me was when I used to combine the use of smoke grenades and poison grenades. Oh. <laughs> but it used to be the point where the smoke was so thick, you couldn't actually tell if the poison grenade was Been off. chucked in, yeah. <laughs> so you'd, go, you'd run in and then you'd just immediately pass out. <laughs> Going back to the RP thing for a second, um, in the radios... I've never actually seen them used in this game. Not even once. I've, I've I don't used know if RP players use I've used them once in an actual legitimate situation when Discord went down. And <laughs> we thought, right, what can we do? We need to have a communication because we're going to do one of the water caves, I think it was, on the island. And we literally created a dozen different radios for us to use. Got down there and, oh my god, it was so bad. It was like... It was literally like speaking down a radio. You had all the static and everything. Uh, so I, you couldn't change it. Conceptually, what I liked about the radio, though, was you could give it to a tribe you're not allied with and didn't want to give out your team speak to. Yeah, that was but a basic In basic practice, idea. I never saw it used. Uh, I tried using it in like a, a PvP scenario, but nine times out of ten, it's like if they had an industrial grinder, they just threw it in the grinder. <laughs> <laughs> I remember thinking about making them a handout for the for certain certain of our allies, but then I was like, you know, this is only going to be useful if I'm online. If I'm online, me and Discord or uh, Teams be talking to people. And if I'm doing that, what are the odds I'm actually going to hear it? Mm-hmm. Now, the one thing I will say about the radio, as in addition to that, is what they would have made it more useful if it, it wasn't like a communication device, but it was actually like a music player. Because that's one thing I really <laughs> hate is not having any kind of like automated music player. I want to listen to some music while I'm building yeah, without having to like open YouTube or something like that and play a playlist and then have my memory eaten by both that and ARC. Now we have rhythm, but... Now we have rhythm. It would have been interesting. They could have made a... Walker could have made a, uh, some kind of deal with um, some kind of music service and said, hey, hey, we advertise your service if you let us uh, set up a system where they click something in-game automatically starts playing music from your site. Well, not even that. It's like we could just use our own soundtrack. Like, there are certain songs which you can just play on a yeah. loop, and it's just ambient music at the end of the day. It's all, that's all pretty much would be. True, true. Instead of playing for, like, I don't know, five, ten seconds, like day at night, or in certain locations during combat music. It'd probably just be me playing 16 tons over and over again. <laughs> probably. Rather than just singing it. All right, uh, let's move on to threads, tweets, etc. So, a post from Coca-Cola, gee, I wonder if he sponsored, asked, Will Aberration ever become a thing again? And he writes, Honestly, I was a big fan of Aberration. There are many things I liked about it. Sure, starting out is pretty hard, but Endgame is where it gets interesting. On your opinion, though, do you guys think Aberration will ever be a thing again? Maybe if it, if it becomes free? 
My question is, when did it stop being a thing? Yeah, this post really confused me. I think he's a little out of touch with the current meta, because Aberration is the thing right now. It I think really is. I think he's probably more referring to the PvE crowd, because the PvE crowd and Aberration, um, as far as I'm aware, died pretty quickly. After, mm -hmm. like, they, they got all the bosses done and everything else, and... Because one of my biggest foibles with Aberration is that you couldn't really build in very many places. You could build in a fertile biome, sure, but you couldn't really build in the red in the radiation zone. You could build in the blue marshland area, but unless you wanted to get attacked all the time by um Move up I, the roof. Yeah, like you could build up onto like a platform or something like that, but it's like you're still very limited in what you can build. Well, I, uh, I on my private server, I had a, uh, I mean, it was basically a one-story version of our old iceberg base built on this one uh, hard-to-get-up-to platform near the, uh, it was pretty close to the southeastern entrance to the uh, surface. Nice, yeah. huge, flat platform that, looking up, uh, if you didn't look at it from just the right angle, it just looked like it was part of the pillar. Hmm. But yeah, no, it's like, I, I think he's probably mostly referring to the PvE crowd in that regard, because I, as far as I know, uh, from your podcast and from other sources, I mean, Aberration's still going on the oh, yeah. PvP side. It's actually where I spend most of my time. PvP on Aberration is a lot of fun, and, a lot, and very challenging in many ways. Mm. Well, I, I should add that it, its biggest use right now is farming. Oh, it's yeah. It's the farming server. It's supplanted a lot of the other, um, I, like... The center used to be a farming server for the big tribes. Right now, it's Aberration, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and for good reason. It, it's got incredible amounts of resources, and it's really hard to raid if the bases are built correctly, like ours. Yeah, you're high. <laughs> I think one of the other uh, additions that I liked in Aberration, there were a lot of nooks and crannies where you could really just hide bases. Like, I, I'm pretty sure there's one or two areas where you could actually build them inside one of the old, um, one of the old, uh, like, alien structures in there. Like, you could build all the way up alongside the wall. I, I really like that. Oh, uh, Fallen Nexus was, uh, was like that. I, yeah. uh, I built a huge, uh, base composed of separate sections that were all covered by independent tech shields. Mm. One, uh, but I always started it by centering a uh, five a, a uh, five by five box in that little nook that was directly back from the platform. Because then you could l run a line of foundations all the way out onto the outer platform. Because if you didn't do it from the very center, there are areas where it would uh, tell you you didn't have proper foundational support unless you built off of a center spine. Yeah, I mean now they don't even let you attach cliff platforms to uh, obeliscaline structure. Mm -hmm. That's true as well. Indeed. Okay, uh, let's move on. So, there was an appeal from Kishko to Wildcard, and in this video he talked about, you know, how Ark is dying because of Mega Tribes and all that, and that Wildcard should, uh, have non-Mega Tribe official servers. Uh, I don't... I don't think it's really dying due to Mega Tribes, because there's other games like Arcs, like, for example, Rust. Rust has even larger mega tribes than what uh, Ark has. Mm. It, it's like you have an entire Korean player base on one server fighting for dominance, and it's like, they're like 60 plus members. It's insane how large they can get. 
but Rust is still flourishing. I still see Arc flourishing, and I don't see um, uh, like any problems. Yeah, me Mega Tribes are a problem with some of the servers, but I don't think it's affecting every single server. Right. So he brought up uh, the Arc player stats, and we usually go through them every three to four months. I was waiting until the week of or the week before E3 happened for me to look at him, but uh, he talked about how there's been a, a significant drop-off in player numbers, and he's right. In February, there was a 7,000-player drop. Uh, in March, another 3,000. In April, another 3,000. Then in May, another 3,000, For to the point where over the last 30 days, the average player count for ARK has been 32,000 players. And uh, he's right in saying that's the lowest it's ever been in the game. Mm -hmm. I would argue, though, that's just a natural ebb and flow of players in general. Of a game, I mean, games have a certain lifespan to them, but yeah. I don't know if everyone's quitting because of Mega Tribes. I just I don't see that connection. No, no. but uh, I think I what argue. it is is when he's talking about Mega Tribes. When you see the Mega Tribes built up on these servers, they've got quite a few servers where there's only a few play people playing on them just to maintain the bases and make sure nothing is yeah. Uh, yeah. wiped by the. There's a barrier to entry. Is what the problem is. Mm -hmm. There's a big barrier to entry in this game at this point. Uh, one uh, one of the things is uh, one of the things as well that I find is it, you also have to kind of look at the other gaming market. What's coming out in these months that they're experiencing drops in the player base mm -hmm. um, because there might be some other really popular game that a lot of people really like that's coming out in that month and like it, it's like what was it? Um, I, I remember when like Battlefield One first came out and like. I think the ARC player base like dropped massively for like a couple of months and then it shot right back up again. Yeah. Because well, everyone it, just wanted to play another AAA game. The only other thing I wanted to add was that I think at least Wildcard is trying to address the problem with some of these beginner servers. Yeah. Which I think are a perfect solution to I was going to say. The game. So I, we don't, we obviously don't have the stats for how they've official pvp servers are doing in terms of player numbers and all that but if they're not doing that well because of player tribes or mega tribes constantly pushing people out or absorbing the smaller tribes or forcing them out you know maybe it's time for walgard to repurpose at least half their servers and turn them into new servers using the beginning servers as a blueprint you know no alliances um five-man tribe cap or something like that and see how it goes from there because i think a lot of people would play on that because what was it last week uh jen put out that poll asking about what kind of tribe experience people prefer to play in and the, i think the majority voted for five to ten member tribes mm -hmm. a lot of people always shoot down that idea of putting caps on things but i think you you're, you hit the nail on the head if you have certain servers where that's the ground rules the big old tribes are not going to probably bother with them yeah they might raid them yeah you know, unless you well no kind of these can't defense. be these can't be part of the the regular pvp network it's got to be its own network personally i don't like the idea of chopping up networks i'd prefer if it was at least a one-way transfer out mm -hmm. i think when you chop networks up you're just you're, you're chopping up your player base yeah, I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me on that because they hate the transfers and whatnot. But I mean, it's it's got to be somewhat different, though. It's like because there's got to be like a separate player, a uh, separate transfer for like PVE players and PVP players mm -hmm. because I I wouldn't be able to transfer my level, uh, my max level character over to a PVP server because it's mostly all PVE. So yep. there must be something like that, uh, like a separate hive or server cloud. True. And uh, just to stay on the point of uh, Mega Tribes and Alpha Tribes, you know, there was a video posted on YouTube by Door Monster, and he titled it Arc Alpha Tribe. 
Oh God! This <laughs> thing. It was a bit cringy, but it, I have to say it was spot on. Oh man, I love that video so much. We are it, Alpha Tribe. Why would you not join us when we can offer you everything? It was a perfect mix of cringe and cheese and jokes. It, it so really it. was, and I it's, think it it drives the point home of large tribes and the the effect they have on the servers. Yeah, it, it, the only thing it didn't cover, and I can understand this because YouTube, um, there's usually a lot more harsh language involved. Uh, from my experience <laughs> of, uh, well, no, there's two experiences of my experiences of Alpha Tribes. One is a lot more harsh language and racist uh, jokes and slander and God knows what else. <laughs> and the other one is a lot of uh, foreign speak, which you can't understand a word of. And then they capture you and force you to listen to uh, My Little Pony for a few hours. <laughs> As is my experience of certain PvP raiding when Chinese first started. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's wonderful. We were really kind to our captors. We'd ask, we'd let them request what music they wanted to hear. People we captured. Well, I mean, from a list of horror. <laughs> okay, so is it going to be in sync or? <laughs> oh no! All right. Um, let's move on. So, someone on Twitter asked Jen. Any way to find out what a server's dino count is at? And this is in response, obviously, I believe, to PvE servers where they have a dino limit. And once that limit is hit, people can't really go on the server and tame new dinos if they're new players. And uh, Jen uh, replied, not currently, but we plan to display this information eventually. It's on our to-do list. This, this would actually be amazing for our private server at the moment because mm -hmm. sometimes if we're running like a mod which adds like colored dinos or something like that, sometimes these mods, they don't just replace spawns. They just spawn another dino on top of another dino. So having a dino counter would be really helpful in knowing, okay, let's do a dino wipe. How many dinos are on the server right now? If it's over the usual limit, say like... A I don't know, a couple of 10,000 or something like that. It's, yeah, definitely time to do a dino wipe to free up some FPS on the server. Yep. I don't know Especially... what to do about that problem. I mean, we've we pitched a few ideas, but it's still... It, to me, the solution to the PvE dino hoarding is... It's not obvious. Other than well, the on cable system PvE servers, they're, all the tribes have a limit of how many dons they can own, right? But they're still I mean, capping out. Yeah, because there's a lot of people who play on PvE servers. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it behooves Wildcard to get that counter out as quick as possible so that new players don't join a server and make the mistake that thinking that there's room to download tames because most new players aren't going to know that there's a tame limit of some sort per tribe, per server. Yeah, because it's, uh, I, I don't think it's really explained all that much. I mean, they have a survival guide on the main menu, but that doesn't teach you, doesn't teach you anything. Yeah, as far as I know, there's no, this kind of information isn't readily available unless unless somebody joins a pve server and there's a message saying hey welcome to the pve server you know be aware that tribes have a t dino team limit of such and such number uh, yeah or something. but you know right now it's as it stands a new player joins a server they're taking a risk of wasting a lot of time on that server and then realizing oh wait i can't tame any dinos although i guess do a dodo test let's <laughs> see how it goes dodo test. again it comes <laughs> down to that's very non-intuitive it it's a really is barrier and, to entry. And when it comes to Ark, there's a lot of things that are non-intuitive. Still, they made a oh, lot yeah. of strides since day one, but there's still a lot more to do. I mean, it's obvious to us now, but even the basics, like knocking out a dino to team it, it's just. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. 
Well, that all falls, that kind of thing falls under, you know, the survival game and learn as you go. But there are certain things that you'll never learn. I remember when I first picked up a raw dino egg, my first, like, two days and thought that I could hatch it eventually. So I kept it around for, like, two weeks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people thought that as well. Or occasion making certain items like such as uh, soap, as my friend tried to find out how to use it and ate it. <laughs> oh, he delicious, washed his mouth out. Delicious, delicious soap. <laughs> okay, uh, moving on. Hod Gaming message Jet saying, "Hey Jet, are you guys aware of the developing meta of Plant Z's being used as turret draining fodder at the moment? It's broken as multiple heavies fire the Plant Z fire at the Plant Z simultaneously. Not sure who else to message. People are uploading thousands and draining towers with super minimal investment." This yep. is news to me. I mean, I, uh, I guess because the heavy turrets consider a plant Z to be. I mean, it's a projectile. But when I first read this, I thought, wait, are they like planting plant Z crop plots near and heavy turrets on long range are shooting it or something? Grenades, spam. Uh, uh, yeah, the grenades because they produce grenades yeah. in their inventory, so it starts shooting at them. Because I, I, yeah. Now you say that, I, because I'd forgotten that turrets now actually shoot grenades. This is that. This is why I haven't been playing Ark. I mean, I'm so out of touch with the <laughs> PvP crowd. Well, I, um, turrets have always been able. To, well, has always really shot down grenades. Though uh, the smoke grenade would drain turrets. I don't know if that's still a strategy anymore. But we used to use those to drain turrets when we were hitting a base. I suppose you could still drain turrets with a smoke grenade. I mean, they're really cheap. Like, well, what just... happens is you throw the smoke grenade pretty much on top of the turrets if you can, and this and while it's the smoke is the smoke cloud is there, they just fire randomly and wildly all over the place until the smoke dissipates. Ah, uh, yeah. I'm also still surprised I don't see more smoke grenade usage in the Twitch fights I watch. And a lot of people don't uh, remember that they're in the game for the most part. We keep a stash of them. I know that if you had a certain graphic setting, that using smoke grenades actually bogged down your computer if you threw enough of them. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like, because, yeah, I used to be a little bit of a griefer when I was solo, uh, so going solo on some PvP raids, and uh, to just really annoy some beta tribes, I'd just, like, toss up to like 12 smoke grenades in one spot and the lag was so immense like they couldn't even spot you mm -hmm. if if you had a certain <laughs> graphic setting but i think if you turned some commands off in the console it would like it wouldn't affect you basically and i think that was like 90 percent of players <laughs> okay um so this past week, if you guys loaded up your game, you would have noticed a message from the Battle Eye Launcher. And that read, in order to serve its purpose of preventing and detecting the use of cheat software with the goal of ensuring a fair game environment, Battle Eye may process the following information from you. IP address, game identifiers, e.g. in-game name, account ID, etc. Hardware device information and identifiers, such as serial numbers. Information about the running operating system, information about game-related and operating system-related files and memory, information about uh, running processes, drivers, and other executable code. File names included in other information listed here, which might also contain your operating system username. BattleEye follows a data minimization policy that ensures that data is only being stored when necessary, i.e. when BattleEye 
finds information that may potentially indicate the use of cheat software. As a result, BattleEye generally will not store any information on most users. BattleEye may store the information for the entire duration of the provision of its services for the game. You may contact Studio Wildcard at any time to exercise your rights to in relation to this data processing. See BattleEye's privacy policy for more information. By clicking OK, you acknowledge that BattleEye is processing your information as described above. Now, mm. this seems to be in response to the, uh, what was it, the Europe's... A new data protection law. Yeah. yeah. It's a However, bit... go ahead. It's for me. It's a little bit uh, sketchy because, like, I I'm always worried about just other programs scanning my hard drive, mm -hmm. uh, especially for stuff like cheat programs. Because what does it classify as a cheat program? Because I, like, there's a number of really old games I play, which sometimes in order to play them, I need to use like a save editor. Does it consider mm -hmm. a save editor be a cheat? And then. Will it ban me even though it's nothing to do with ARC? Exactly. And, you know, when it comes to DRM, this is these things have happened quite a bit. If all the they if all they've done is updated the uh the user and license agreement to comply with the new laws, uh it's only gonna detect programs that are running at the time. If they've actually changed the program though, who the hell knows? So yeah, basically, this is nothing new. This is what BattleEye has always been doing. They're just making it a little bit more visible to those folks that didn't really understand the way it worked. I mean, I've always... It's a trade-off I'm willing to make for this game or other games in general to kind of prevent cheating, but people need to realize that BattleEye essentially is like a rootkit on your computer and mm -hmm. as such has a security risk with it. If there was ever an exploit to BattleEye, that exploit gets access to everything BattleEye can access. Yeah. So the developer for BattleEye released a statement uh, after there's some uh, comments from people regarding the message. And he posted, Hey, our community, after reading your feedback about BattleEye in general and its uh, end user license agreement for over a week, I decided to clarify a few things here. First of all, BattleEye by design is very invasive and it has to be so that it's able uh, and it has to be so that it's able to fully do its job. This is reflected in its EULA which is intentionally formulated in a very direct, unambiguous, and non-misleading way so the user can quickly understand what's going on and isn't lost in pages of text. Ultimately, it's just trying to be very honest. Yes, BattleEye has to be able to scan all memory, RAM, and all game and system-related files on disk. However, this does not mean that BattleEye is looking through your personal files, credit card details, or other such information and sends them to our servers. Also doesn't mean they can't. True. <laughs> I want to clearly emphasize that we don't do this. Everything that BattleEye does is aimed at blocking and detecting hacks and reporting your personal information or otherwise spying on you clearly serves no purpose in that context. If you are worried, I would still suggest that you don't have any programs or processes containing sensitive information open while playing on BattleEye servers, simply because BattleEye might accidentally touch it during the scans. Remember that all active processes are part of the memory. That includes things like processes and window names. Yes, BattleEye absolutely can identify hack code patterns in memory and report information about them to our servers. It can also theoretically send executable files uh, to our servers, which were previously identified by other scans. But this is very rarely done, if ever. It has happened in the past, which is what this Reddit post created by a well-known hacker that many of you have seen was all about. It succeeded in creating lots of drama, but the bottom line is that BattleEye never reported any sensitive information, but only hack-related executable code and files. In fact, generally any halfway effective anti-cheat solution has the capability to do the same. 
So if you are running suspicious code while playing online games, expect it to be reported in some way. I'm not saying if this is good or bad, but it can be necessary from time to time for an anti-cheat to properly do its job. There was also another post created by the same hacker talking about BattleEye supposedly permanently banning players for false positives or poor detections. While I can't go into too many details without revealing too much to the bad guys, the problem with these claims is that they simply aren't true. Yes, false positives can happen and did happen in the past, but usually they were identified and corrected very quickly as all bans are regularly checked. But no, we definitely never banned for legitimate software like Mumble or Memory Patterns in your web browser. I could talk more about what we are doing and why, but it would probably slightly spoil the fun those people constantly have when being forced to deal with BattleEye. That being said, I admit that there should be more clarifications in the EULA and or the BattleEye launcher, and this is something that will be added in the future. We want people to trust BattleEye because we believe that it is a trustable system that is working in the interest of honest players. We will also add an uninstall option as well as a way to make BattleEye not annoy you every single time when using the default launch option in case you don't want to install it. The BattleEye launcher in general should become more user friendly. We hear your concerns and are really sorry about this bumpy release. Thanks for reading. Fairly reasonable. I, yeah, I think it's a reasonable compromise. I'm willing to do it and I've been doing it for years. Mm. Mm, same. Don't have too many complaints, though. As always, when it comes to any kind of form of DRM or anti-cheat system, my concern is always the effect it has on the process and power of my PC, which isn't that great to begin with. Yeah, I know. If if it's going to be a point where I'm going to be like running 10 FPS again on Arc, it's yeah, then we're going to have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Community Crunch 133 was launched, and with it, a code of conduct update and according to wildcard earlier in april april our enforcement team announced some changes made to the official arc code of conduct as well as how players can make reports on pc thanks to your reports we have been able to take action consistently against rule breakers and cheaters on our official servers today we would like to announce some changes to the rule set we'll be listing the specific changes beneath but it's recommended you check out the entire code here uh hacking and exploiting uh revision Examples are not limited to, but can include attacking and living in unintended game zones under the mesh or above the map, duplication of tames, items, and characters, unintended building mechanics such as floating structures, using the world barrier as a snap point, building a box around your quetzal, uh, modifying your game files to remove key graphical components, water, fog, etc., <laughs> attacking or blocking players through the train with dinosaurs, and intentionally crashing users or servers. So, uh... I don't think attacking or blocking players through the terrain with dinosaurs was in here the last time when we read this, when it first came out. And that's essentially in response to how uh, a lot of the tribes when they're built up in the caves have been using Brontos to protect their entrances. And the Bronto tail swings will ignore the terrain, I believe, with their tail swing. Yeah. Um, Wait, I, so Brontos guarding caves is not allowable anymore? Not that way. It's, I mean... What? That doesn't sound like a game exploit. That's just putting a dino to defend your base. Yeah, but the tail swing, if it's hitting them through the terrain, that's an exploit. Oh, yeah. Through the terrain. Okay. Yeah, I, mm -hmm. I can see it. Like, if it's like a small hill and that uh, Bronto's tail is long enough to go, like, clip through the hill, I can see, like, the tip of their tail, like, just hitting someone on the yeah. opposite side. Now, the one thing I didn't hear in that list was uh, use of an auto-clicker, not confirming or denying this one, <laughs> but just saying. Well, the problem with outlawing auto-clickers is uh, a lot of auto-clickers are essentially just a macro in a modern gaming mouse. Oh, yeah, I know. That's the thing. So I've got a uh, 
was it's not a Logitech, a, a Razer keyboard, and it's got in the driver software it lets you macro record stuff. Well, I know that uh, my auto clicker is uh, a lot more primitive than that. It's uh, it's a special uh, mechanics tool which, if set to a right value, can get anywhere from 100 to 200 clicks a minute. <laughs> Remember how we used to feed how I used to feed uh, dinosaurs when I went to go take uh, take a break? Evolved a pencil. Mm-hmm. But that was it. I just wedged the button down and underneath another one. That's Pretty how much. I used to drive my raft across the island. I would just weigh down the forward key. <laughs> yep. yep, piece of tape. That's a piece, a tiny piece of duct tape. Yeah, um, I know Jet also went on. I think the Soul Discord and a couple other discords talking about uh, use of that. Uh, macro of um, farming your bodies for meat was also against the code of conduct. Yeah, that's probably pushing it. <laughs> <laughs> mm. I just mean like, you know, putting a clicker to auto swing. Yeah. No, as far as I so their stance was that it, that's perfectly fine. They said this in the beginning, early in the life cycle of this game, and they haven't changed that stance as far as I'm aware of. Cool. So, also, uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, the one thing I did want to touch the additional rule of PvE-specific griefing, intentionally using wild creatures uh, yeah. to destroy a player's assets. <laughs> That's an interesting one, because it's like... It's, I know that sometimes on, like, Scorched Earth, when I've been running a private server, there's been one, more than one occasion where someone's been chased by a rock golem and it's just happened to go at someone's mm-hmm. base. Yeah. That's where, difficult to prove. Yeah, where, where's the distinction of them, or are they trying to get away from this rock golem or are they just like trying to get the aggro off it exactly that might be more them trying to say there's a rule that's hard to enforce but they just kind of don't want people to do it yeah yeah so that was the second revision of course yes i see that see that rule being uh not enforced as much as the other rules yeah it's it's such a gray area it's hard to really prove uh the, the only way they'd be able to prove it is if there's a string of item caches leading up to the base that the, the thing was kited to. Mm-hmm. I remember when we and since when is that a problem? I mean, you're kiting of something in-game to somewhere else in-game. Yeah. But I guess because yeah. it's PvE, they're like, oh, I can't fight, can't kill. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I suppose mm-hmm. it's on PvE. But I do distinctly remember us dro- accidentally, of course, dropping a load of turtles on a base we were going to attack later in the day. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a tragedy. Or getting, uh, trying to coax for uh, 120 Alpha Rex to a player's base. <laughs> I remember the first, or leading the first Giga on server directly into an enemy base. To be honest, they made it real easy with the uh, mushrooms. Oh, no, the red oh, flowers, yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, definitely. I also remember the time we were subject to uh, a desperate enemy leading a horde of wyverns out of World Scar towards mm-hmm. our fob. Yeah, that was the moment. It was literally okay. Um, this is not. This is turning against us. It's time for a retreat. <laughs> Tear it down. Let's go. <laughs> we out. All right. Uh, one final revision, revision, and that was in player Steam and tribe names and impersonation. Pretending to be someone else with intent to impersonate the game masters or studio wildcard employees. Would you really want to impersonate a wildcard employee, though? I mean, I know, right? You want all that hate? Yeah, exactly. I mean, do you really want all that hate? It's like, they'd probably, like, kick you out of the server saying, go back and work on work on the game. Fix the game, wildcard. <laughs> <laughs> that almost makes me wonder if there was an incident or something. I mean, they gotta be reacting to something that happened. Leg day, is that you? You're so far. Whisper, 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 whisper. 
So remember the day I logged in and there was just some random person in the tribe and every time they talked, uh, there was a little marker next to their name. I'm like, who the f*** is this person? Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's all right. That's your second slip up. But who's counting? You apparently. <laughs> well, I have to. I got to know how many times I got to bleep somebody. Um, so they talked about the Great Migration, which is once again coming up soon. This weekend's Evo event, which also includes two times ma- times two maturation, egg incuba- incubation, and all that. Uh, they quickly talked about their community live stream roundup, uh, which we discussed last week, which was a bit better. Uh, they brought in some PvP tips, and uh, apparently for the next one, they're going to be they're asking for uh, base. T- they're going to have a base tour section. So if people want to show off your base, please send some screenshots for the email below. Include your server name and number. Unofficial server bases are also accepted as long as your server admin will allow us to come tour on your server. All platforms are welcome to participate. We look forward to seeing all of your base designs. That's an interesting one. I think they should have added the... uh, a little warning saying, warning, your base may get raided after this. I was just going to say, what, the best it, bases I, aren't going to be shown off. I might actually join that one if I can convince uh, the server owner that I play with uh, to load up a the island save. Then again, it's also got a bunch of mods on it as well, so I don't think that covers in the criteria. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> because I, I built a massive base in Hidden Lake just... But rather than build it on the ground, I built it into the cliff wall. Ah. And it's wrapping all the way around the back wall of um, the hidden lake. And just it wraps com- about a quarter of the way up and then leads up into the ledge. But it's got artifact <laughs> chambers, it's got its own sleeping quarters, uh, cafeteria, God knows what else. I mean, it's a PvP RP base, so it's, of course it's going to look pretty, but it's also really, really laggy. <laughs> I remember one base we uh, raided, and uh, they had this huge uh, area that was set up like a Viking-esque oh. place for them to RP, I guess. They had t- long tables and chairs, and the way they set it up and decorated, I was like, what the hell? I thought we were on a PvP server, not an mm-hmm. RP. But the thing is, as well, something that I did actually want to, we could pop, but it's possibly a future discussion for a podcast, is mm-hmm. has there ever been a RP PvP base that has actually worked. Ooh. Like, has anyone actually been able to make a base look good in PvP and actually reliably... It's actually defended the base. We'd have to do some uh, research on that one. I mean, I always say that I don't think those things are mutually exclusive. So, no, you're not going to see, like, a stone castle... I was like, just going to say, you know, you would think that a castle or a fortress of some kind would be the obvious thing for PvP, but it's just not that works that way because of, mm. you know, turrets and the line of sight that's needed. It's why, for the most part, a lot of bases are, sadly, boxes. Yeah. I hate that. I mean, uh, Grok and I are working on some interesting desi- uh, designs, but uh, that those uh, servers no longer exist anymore, unfortunately. Mm. Most of always... using Pentagon-style uh, for- uh, fortress building. The lines of sight and everything, the problem was they were just really resource intensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I've seen some really good, interesting base builds. They didn't look like castles or, or RP buildings, but they were interesting designs. Because I'm not a fan of the box. I hate the box. Yeah, it's like you go on any PvP official server now, it's like, oh, box number one, box number two, mm-hmm. box number 321. Even in early game, like you guys know, like I would refuse to build a box. Everything I built had to have like <laughs> windows and doors and slope roofs, and it always got blown up. I mean, I'm, I'm 
with you all the way personally it's because i i could not i don't like building a box and i always strive to try and make a somewhat look lookable house and then try to defend it as best i can what I'm most interested in uh, seeing, though, when, if they start doing these base tours, is the way people set up their crafting areas. I really get a kick out mm-hmm. of uh, trying to learn better ways to do things and some of the clever things people come up with to be efficient. Yeah. Um, I build boxes, and then I attach more boxes to those boxes. <laughs> I, I kind of wish um, that uh, wildcard devs would implement a way to, or for us to stack storage boxes. Mm-hmm. So, like, because there was one mod I did install, I think it was Extra Arc or whatever, they had modular boxes to the point where you could stack them on top of one another and, like, you could individually... So you could just have a... Yeah, you Um... could literally have an entire wall of just nothing but small, medium, and large boxes, and they all, like, could stack on each top of each other. I think someone actually found a way on PvP servers to stack large storage boxes on top of one another. You can um, make it look very stacked if you're mm-hmm. clever. You can make it look stacked. They're not perfectly stacked. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> to some degree as well, it's like they've already added the ability for some of the uh, large wooden chests to somewhat snap close to each other. So Indeed. Okay, uh, let's move on because that was pretty much it for the community crunch. So not too much. However, um, one person on their official Reddit forum, Super Toto, found a little blurb from a French article, and the translation reads: "On the occasion of the event Cock Media for the Arc Day, we told you about some things that would happen shortly with regard to the next Arc DLC under the name Arc Extinction." In mid-June, an event under the theme of archaeology will be set up on all platforms. This event will tell you more about the new DLC. You will have the chance to see images and gameplay phases of the game also in mid-June. Finally, there will be events all summer regarding Extinction on all platforms, and a release date will be announced. So, am I understanding this correctly? There's going to be an event in-game? Yes. That's going to be interesting. Yeah. Also, um, maybe it's just my uh, British heritage speaking, but I generally have a distrust of French information. I distrust French information. I, I'm, I'm just saying that. It's like, then again, it's also other media outlets. Unless I hear it 100% from the actual uh, the game devs themselves, um. I have difficulty trusting it kind of information. You know, so, I do really miss that, though. Wildcard mm-hmm. used to do a lot of big in-game events, at least in the first year. Like, yeah. uh, remember the uh, New Year's ball drop? Yep. Oh, oh yeah. my god, yeah. Man, I traveled All the speculation about what was going to come out, uh, what, what, what was going to be in that. <laughs> I, I was really hoping it was going to open up and there was going to be, like, an alpha giga or something just to <laughs> screw with us. You know, I think yeah. it all went down there, and then the stupid thing didn't drop for three hours. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. It's like, wait, wasn't it supposed to drop already? What's going on? And it was what a hat, a penguin yeah. hat, or something. Yeah, something like that. Everybody got three top hats. Oh, top hats. Yeah. Over and saying... I started murdering people, murdering people right there on the beach to steal more so we could put them <laughs> on our penguins. Over you, you saying about an alpha giga? I mean, am I? I'm, I'm the sadistic sort where I would say, yeah, give me that alpha giga. <laughs> Oh, me, I was, uh, I was on my I favorite Quetzal, kill. hovering high enough off the ground where I would be able to run away. Yeah. Until I got so, bored and came back with a... I don't remember what I came back with, but it was something I was willing to lose. 
and then you discover it has a special ability where it roars and it scares everyone solid to the point they can't <laughs> run away. Imagine it was like some giant troll, like a huge meteor hits the island map and just destroys everyone's base. Yeah. Welcome oh, to Extinction DLC. Or like <laughs> it, would, it would count down to zero and be a tactical nuke. Yeah. So I do think that um, it's more than likely that we'll see Arc Extinction revealed and at E3 this year. Oh, yeah, for sure. My bet is it's just a trailer. I bet you it's not in-game. Probably. It will probably yeah. be most likely a trailer. But I think we'll see our, finally get a release date, but we'll see. Um, but speaking of countdowns, there's one underway right now. We're currently, as of recording, uh, 11 days, 21 hours, 23 minutes, and 40 seconds. And this was uh, posted in conjunction with a post uh, wishing uh, happy birthday to Ark on year three. And Wildcard wrote, Ark Survival Evolved is celebrating its third birthday today. It's been three whole years since we first entered into early access on Steam. The game has grown tremendously, from walking naked on a beach to defending the ultimate life form. We have loved each and every moment of development, meeting you at events, hosting streams, and watching your content. Thank you so much for all the support you've shown us over the last three years. We are truly grateful and in celebration have something special in store for our community. And so they started up the countdown and wrote... The countdown to our special event begins. Survivors can look forward to some epic discoveries with new content and challenges, and we'll even have, and we'll have even more exciting news coming in the middle of the month. So stay tuned. And so they released an image that's uh, on the countdown. Looks like three new dinos in the image, mm-hmm. which and is the Brachiosaurus, Stiggy Moloch, and the Strawbrachiosaurus. From what we can see, yeah. Man, have I really been doing this for three years? Jesus. <laughs> yeah, We've been doing... is, is, is Ark uh, over with the teething problems by now, or is it just beginning? See, I was, while I was reading the, the, the press and said, when we first, three whole years since we first entered into early access on Steam, I wanted to add, and haven't left yet. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh... Because, let's be honest... This is not a finished product or a polished it's game still. It's rough around the edges, but it's a hell of a lot better than it was year one. Uh, it's more than rough around the edges to me. It feels like jagged pieces of jagged steel jabbing into my gut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You know, I was thinking about it. I really don't think in the history of my gaming uh, that I've played a game as much as I played Ark. Most, yeah, most right, other games over have... a decade. Yeah, but not the same hours. <laughs> I've got probably three to four times more hours in Counter-Strike easily. In Counter-Strike 1.6, I'll add, than I wow. do in Ark. Did not know you are such a Counter-Strike player, dude. We should fire Ooh. up a game. Dude, I played that game 1.6 for over a decade, on and off for a decade, and then started playing Go for a while. I was more of a Battlefield guy myself. I was mm-hmm. like playing Battlefield 3 and 4 almost religiously. Ah. Yeah, that was my daily ritual. Come I was play playing Battlefield, Battlefield in 1942. So I just read something that uh, makes my brain hurt Uh-oh. and it is arc related sort of but it's also not uh, not arc related hence the, the the conversation made me think to bring this up so the comparison i'm reading about the upcoming fallout 76 is fallout meets arc oh wow really? um huh. i confirmed and i've got the overwhelming urge to stab myself in the eye with a rusty spoon radioactive <laughs> dinosaurs well, no, okay, I, I actually figured out a lot about the game by the, the the trailer. It actually is going to be a prequel to the others, so it could be set in a control vault that opens 
20 years after the bombs. So it's going to be a survival horror game. There's no doubt about that. They're going to have to, I mean, in a game like that, you can either build it pure survival horror where your characters are constantly on the move, constantly trying to outrun whatever it is, or make it a base building game. Yeah. You know, it kind of makes sense. Fallout 4 did have a base building mechanic. I haven't played it, but I've seen what yeah, they're, they're, it. Yeah, they've been going in that direction for a while. The base building mods were really popular in 3 and, and uh, Vegas, so it just makes me think that this. And my only thing is, when I'm seeing it all over Twitter, all over the various, uh, uh, like I'm looking at uh, articles from Kotaku, IGN, and a few other of uh, the major sources, and all of them somewhere in the article or the first few comments will be an arc comparison mm -hmm. and no one's saying this is a bad thing and my only thought is if you were going to pick a survival game to compare it to rust could you not yeah. pick one that we spent that i spend at least an hour a week complaining about <laughs> Just, I, you know, I, I, that's maybe, my prediction be rust so there's a difference between Studio Wildcard and Bethesda in that Bethesda is a AAA company. So they've got the manpower, the resources yeah. to not have the same issues. Have you, have you, have you played a, a Fallout or Bethesda RPG recently? The first thing that's done after they're released is the online community fixes them with well, mods. Of course. I'm just saying that for the most part, it's nowhere near as bad or as egregious as what it could be. You're right. Wild we we don't have we usually you usually don't have horrible glitches involving the buildings turning in, uh, inside out or snapping <laughs> upside down. You usually just have characters moving in ways that are anatomically impossible and occasionally having inside out eyeballs. But I'll mm -hmm. say this: it's taken Bethesda a long time to actually go in this route with Fallout. I mean, we already had Elder Scrolls Online for years now. Yeah, I mean, if it... I just I'm, I'm, my thing is, if you're not going to make it be. Uh, Freaking! Um, if you're gonna, if you want to make Fallout Online, cool. Make do what they're doing with Elder Scrolls Online, where they're also still working on Elder Scrolls Five at the same time. Yeah, but we would, we kind of did make a Fallout Online, though, didn't they? I'm pretty sure they tried. Did. It failed. Mm. Yeah, miserably. I was real excited about because they were gonna. There's a lot of ghoul-related lore that came out of the uh, the leaks after the after, uh, the project was canceled. Yeah. Also, one thing I will say about Fallout uh, 76, uh, just slightly off topic, was um, I God, God, I do hope they had death claws because that was my highlight in Fallout 4. And also, <laughs> I'm surprised that no one's added a death claw mod to Ark yet. Oh God! All right, let's let's move. On. Let's get back to actually on top. <laughs> yeah, of, uh, minorly related comparisons. <laughs> So yeah, we expect to see Ark Extinction in E3, probably most likely a trailer. I'm hoping we'll finally see a release date as well. What do you guys think will be the release date? Will it be sh shortly after E3? Are we going to have to wait until the end of this year? I bet you it's Christmas. Yeah. I think so. Well, then again, it's um, uh, Wildcard right now is operating on uh, their own time, similar to Valve time, so I wouldn't be surprised if it's like March 2019. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we they gave us a lot of teasers uh, for a long time, and then they gave us the full announcement. And it wasn't that long after the actual proper announcement that the game, mm. that Aberration came out. So we might actually. Uh, I mean, what was it? Maybe it, it was. I don't even think it was two months uh, after the actual trailer for Aberration was released. I'll say the same thing I said last time, which is I'm okay with them taking whatever time they need as long as it comes out polished, at least. Wild card polished. Well, yeah, that's not safe. That I, does I expect, not fill me okay, with confidence. At least. You know, when they released Scorched, as as annoyed as most of us were on the principle of releasing uh, an expansion for 
for an early access game, it was still a good release. People are still when salty about that. And I still don't get that. Okay, it, it's early access. It, it was more about the precedent than what they actually did. The precedent of DLC content for a game that's supposedly not finished yet. You I don't do the from... DLC until the game is done. Oh, okay. We had this argument yeah, back yeah, then. We I don't know. need to read yes, yes, we did. We're, okay. we're, we're chipping okay. it all. So my, my point is, you know, we were all per- fairly impressed with what uh, of, with what Scorch actually was on its own when it came out. We were even more so with uh, with Aberration. Mm-hmm. And then we even had our we have even had the mini DLC of uh, of Ragnarok in between them, which was mm-hmm. impressive to everybody. Even more so now that we got more of the map. Yeah, yeah, I was so I'm, outraged I'm by it. I'm really excited for Extinction because of this. I, that's why I haven't uninstalled the game. I know for a fact if I don't have time to get back into Ark before then, well, I'm not gonna. It'll already be mostly installed when Extinction comes out. <laughs> Although something I will say about Extinction um, was regarding when uh, Aberration came out, and then on the Steam page for a little while, it actually. Uh, listed the possible date of release for Extinction. Yeah. Like on their store page, I'm pretty sure it had like expected to be in like autumn S- or winter. Spring, I think, right? Yeah, something like that. I swear it was uh, like June or July. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we, agree, I mean, we all agree that, it, that it, they put a date up. What that date was, eh? Well, yeah, so, so just to tie this back, you know, two things. One, don't pre order. I never pre order, particularly Wildcard DLC. And uh, nah. also, nah, I, I think it goes back pass, to so. when, yeah, when people were criticizing Wildcard. Remember when they were talking about like, hey, how can you just declare the game release? And I was saying for months, Wildcard, I'd just call the game release so that they could start doing things like DLC. Because the mm-hmm. only difference between yeah. Aberration and Scorch Earth was before Aberration came out, they stamped the release sticker on it. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were certain things in Aberration where I actually really wished they were just in the base game, like with Primitive Elevator. Mm-hmm. It's like who would have want, who would want, wanted a primitive elevator as like a, a low tier way of just moving dinosaurs up above <laughs> one level. Gotta crank no, it up. Crank but no, I've got I've got to get the DLC if I want to have that elevator. I will admit there was a lot of stuff involving the DLC that it's like one. Why does it include um? Why does it have special materials? There's no reason it should. Two. Why is this not part of the main game? About half the stuff in both Scorched and Aberration should have just been in both. They actually yeah. could have made a, a, a pretty good PR event if they did uh, what uh, Stellaris and a few other games do when they release DLC, which is they pair it with something free. Give mm-hmm. everybody something and then put something premium at the same time. Yeah, yeah let, let me caveat everything we said with one thing that, that I hope they don't repeat with um, this new DLC is the days of Scorched where... It was like one-way transfer or something, if I remember correctly, and everyone was salty that their bases on the island were getting wiped by wyverns, and they had no way to retaliate. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. The, well, let me... Let me it's Didn't not, that happen they with... They uh, they had no way to retaliate. There were ways to retaliate, but, you know... I mean, you couldn't fight a wyvern with a wyvern. That was the only, not, that was the only thing, and even during those days, I mean, wyverns have always been a bit of a glass cannon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think, like most new, I mean, I, I, I used to. Uh, I was the one that was crazy enough to be dive bombing enemy infantry with uh, with a freaking fire wyvern. Oh, poison! How many wyvern of them did I bring back barely alive? <laughs> I still like poison wyvern dive bombing. It's just satisfying. Yeah. Yeah, until you screw up by two inches. <laughs> oh yeah, by by poisoning yourself. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's move on. Let's move on to patch notes. So, uh, version two seventy nine point two nine one was out. 
Get ready, guys. This was a big one. Fix the server crash related to uploading and downloading. The end. <laughs> that was your uh, patch uh... notes of the week. Okay, you say that, but it might not be much written down, but I gotta imagine that was a big fix. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I just find that that was it. That was it for the week, you know? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I've been hoping for more and more for these weekly patch notes, but we haven't really been seeing that, or, you know, the regularly scheduled time that they wanted to do every Tuesday. I would have to imagine that most of their team is is really trying to crank out the DLC. Yeah, I'm guessing yeah. Extinction is their main priority if they want to show this off and then release it. Here's well, there's cute. also another option. The last few of their things, they've been fixing big-to-fix issues. Not necessarily mm-hmm. big issues, but something that took a lot of you know man hours to correct the code for. Yeah. So they might finally be focusing more on those things, which... A lot of those that they haven't gotten to yet are pretty core problems that we've been complaining about for a long time. There is a Just slim chance. This is this is coming from the guy who, like, my job on this podcast is to give them a hard time. <laughs> um, they might finally be actually trying to fix some of the really basic stuff that yeah. I think would be <gasps> all the difference. Now, I don't have that much faith that's what they're actually doing, but it does fit the uh, fit their, their actions so far. Yeah. Yeah, but it's a, it's a curious question, though. How, by a percentage value, how much or how much of a team do you think is actually working on fixing bugs to how many is working on the DLC? Because I, I would I would have to say it's like 30% bugs, 70% DLC. Man, I've said it on multiple podcasts, but I really wish they would allow, open up their bug tracking system so we could look at it and vote on mm-hmm. issues. Yeah. Well, there's we also don't something even... to be said. Um, I, I mean, like I said, I've, I've done a lot of modding in, in my days, and a lot of, you know, modding is, is more fixing whatever you screwed up. Um, yeah. That's coding. To be honest, I always knew how, how, you know, how many guys could I have to make this kind of thing go faster, especially when I was part of modding teams. You don't put more than, at most, three to five guys, and if it's going to be that many, you're talking about basically a, a total conversion mod or a mod that's the size of a, of a paid DLC, where you get that many guys work, uh, working on the bug fixing, because you're going to be focusing on certain issues, and you're going to be delegating tasks, and you just don't want to have too many people trying to shove their hand into the problem at once. So, you know, software development, right? It, it's They've been trying to make it a, uh, a science for years. There's been plenty of books written on the topic. Um, it's still much, in my opinion, it's very much an art. It, trying to get a team to be efficient at crack, you know, knocking down bugs. You can do a lot of things with a team of three people more efficiently than you can with a team of ten people sometimes. It just mm-hmm. depends on the personalities of the people that are working for you and what their abilities are. It really ma- What really matters is, you know, how are you delegating the things and how much overlap between the things the individual people are doing are you then going to have to correct for at the end? Yeah, you, gotta step, you can't step on each other's toes when you're committing those code changes. Or you have to have somebody whose job it is to figure out what uh, what's going to take priority when there's overlap. Software integration, big topic. Big topic, way beyond the scope of this. Yeah, I think suffice to say that the number one fact when it comes to uh, fixing code, when you have twelve problems and you fix one, you've now got two hundred to fix. Yeah, that's that's always a problem. Like my personal favorite one that I ever did. Okay, guys, I fixed the grappling hook. Yeah, but you broke the level load. What? (laughs) How did I do that? this is this is self-contained code. It doesn't touch anything else. Mm-hmm. All right. Turn out that bracket in the wrong place. 
<laughs> the code wasn't, uh, the, uh, because of that, the code wasn't self-contained. It got into something and it, it happened escaped. to match a line for uh from the mesh uh, from the mesh load. <laughs> but break, break, uh, fix one thing, break five other things. Exactly. Statistically, it's ten. And that's the thing. In a sandbox game, it's even worse. You. You cannot fix things in in in, in a uh, sandbox game without breaking something else. Yep. <laughs> All right, guys. It is now time to stand on the shoulders of giants as we chat and argue about pets in PvP while fighting our way down the bloodied concrete of Arc Avenue. It's a lot of bodies in Arc Avenue. They're, wow, they're that's, that's the second time, in, uh, second week in a row, you haven't made me groan. And in fact, to be honest, that one was kind of good. Really? Yeah. yeah. I'm really yeah, losing my so. touch. Mm. All right. Well, when it comes to PvP, the decisions you make regarding gear and dinos depends on the situation. For our discussion about shoulder pets in PvP, we are going to use the island primarily, for example, when it comes to PvP. Though we will go into aberration for a bit since there are unique environmental obstacles that factor into PvP and on that map. So, with that said... Which shoulder pet is the best monkey. when it comes to people? The monkey. No hesitation. <laughs> so I will, I will admit this. Uh, this poll was very difficult to vote on, considering the island as well. <laughs> so yeah, I, I released the poll a few hours before we started recording the podcast, and uh, we had 218 votes as of right now while we're recording, and uh, 33% of the votes said the Microraptor, 16% said the Dimorphodon. 15% said the Vulture, 7% said the Otter, 5% said the Bulb Dog, 5% said the Mesopithecus, 5% said the Pegamastics, a stupid 4% said Jerboa, <laughs> hey, they are 4% said Featherlight, 3% said Shinehorn, 1% said the Ichthyornis, 1% said Compi, and 1% said the Glowtail. Now, I, I figured you voted multiple times, Rigo. No, now, actually, I haven't even voted on it because I haven't checked uh, Twitter. If if I were to say to you, I was the one that voted for Compi, and here's why. I don't know if they've changed this because this was a while ago when Compis were still a relatively new thing, mm -hmm. where I would stick C4 to a Compi, <laughs> buff its weight up, and because we back then we built in like really grassy areas, We'd send it after raiders, and by the time it reached them, they just blow up. And it was a really cheap, disposable way of just getting rid of raiders, especially if they were traveling on herbivores as meat shields mm -hmm. to drain turrets, because back then the, the herbivores didn't have that 50% uh, explosive uh, resistance. So you could just immediately take out any of the tanky dinos with uh, a single C4 charge. Indeed. We might want to comment why it was the Microraptor that won that poll, right? Right. Yeah. You might want to comment as why we think the Microraptor won that poll. So obviously, it has the ability to stun an enemy dino when in the vicinity. Usually, the the flyers for the most part. Mm -hmm. That's um, what I was gonna say. Skill to kill made a comment saying, "I think Microraptor is OP because it can stun people." Isman also said Microraptor, and there was a bit of a reply saying, "Agreed. You can knock people off their mounts." Alphum said, "But a Dimorphodon or Vulture can do damage while they're while the rider is on the mount, and if their dino sucks, they won't be able to do anything about it. 
Yeah, especially true for dimorphodons. Uh, I think for uh, rexes, if you're if you send like a flock of dimorphodons on an unpiloted rex that's on neutral, half the time they can't hit it, and so they're just like standing Mm-hmm. Gotcha. around, like trying to bite at these tiny little birds, and they're just whittling its health down over time. Yeah. So, Dunka made There a comment is some truth saying, to that. <laughs> PvP is pretty broad. Some of those are purely situational, depending on what is going on. 1v1 or small scale, it might make sense to have some utility dino on your shoulder. Large scale, nothing outside of a life pet or four reapers is really going to matter. Mm I hmm. guess. Yeah, I mean, like, if you're hanging out in the snow biome, you're probably going to want an otter, right? Yeah. So, I was going See, to bring look, that up. I love monkeys for base defense, though. That's Mm hmm. my thing. I love them for that. They are, you give them, you give them the right balance of speed and health and, and melee and put them in a really good flak helmet and you just watch them start ripping people's nuts off in the middle of a fight and they're sitting there trying to, I, I saw someone bring in a flamethrower to take out my monkey herd as Iceberg was falling. You know, but uh, let me say this, though. Having watched the war or the battle that the raid on 36 this weekend on Twitch, um, not a single player, either on the attacking or the defending side, had a shoulder Utilizes, pet that I was able to see. yeah, exactly. Mm. And So, I think that's a missed opportunity. The game doesn't lend itself to that. mm -hmm. all right. So uh, before we go any further, let's talk about the individual shoulder pets that are in the game. Talk about their strengths and weaknesses, what they can do. For example, Drake, you brought up the compi, compi which has a pack bonus, Yeah, and so, that's yeah, yeah, and and. it's it's so small as well is that by the time it reaches the player, half the time they don't notice what's actually stuck to it. Yeah, it tends to shred armor as well pretty quickly, right? Uh, in a pack, yes. If you can get more than three, um, anything that's like even just like medium mo or moderate quality hide, it will be wrecked quite quickly if you Mm just let them like you just stack health on them for days, and that damage resistance bonus they get from a pack boost will actually shred armor. -hmm. Yeah. But Um... hope hope they don't have a pike. That's the only thing. Exactly. I was going to say, they're small to hit and they don't have a lot of HP, so if you're, uh, if the raider you're sticking them on has a pike, they're going to go down pretty quickly. They do make a nice distraction, though, if you have a sniper, but that's pretty good Yes. for headshots. And if you buff their speed enough, you can actually make <laughs> them keep up with players easily enough. Indeed. So let's talk about the one of the most worthless ones in the game, the Jerboa. Obviously, They're everyone's... adorable. I don't care if they're adorable. They're great for stews. Uh, They The warn only... people of incoming weather, but only on scorched earth, so it's a situational type of thing. But they also can wear a helmet, but they... So here's my thing about the Jerbo, and I still don't get it to this day. You can only tame them at level one. That's it. Yeah, Mm hmm that's that's yeah. Why is that even a thing? I well the one thing I can give credit to the Jabos, they make great early game hide. <laughs> yes, this is very true. But otherwise, you know, it's They not make even great worth storage breeding bins them. too. <laughs> but it's it's not even worth breeding them because you you're not gonna do anything with it because there's no stats to really work with. They're all level one. They're base stats. Unless you want renewable hide farm. Mm, yeah. Yeah, but then you might as well just get sheep because you'll get other stuff <laughs> with them. so the Microraptor obviously has the ability to stun enemy flyers if they get close enough. It's actually pretty fast on the ground. It doesn't fly itself, which uh, I thought was a disservice to it. Otherwise, it'd be really OP, I guess.
it's super glitchy to hit if you're trying yes. to hit it with any firearm. So it, it, pike users have the easiest time dealing with them, but then you run into the chance of um, I I think because they do actually hit pretty hard. Like if you level one up in like health and uh, melee damage, like their base speed is super quick. Oh yeah. Then um, we've got the otter. One person, JJ Adned, I think, uh, simply said, simple, the otter. Want to know why? No one would ever risk hurting an otter. <laughs> well, we also say the same about uh, Shinehorn. They, they do have the adorable factor, but... Yeah, somebody else said that about the Shinehorn as well. But for the otter, uh, it's one of the few shuttle pets that can wear a helmet. Yeah, and true. I would say if you're keeping them in the water, they'll be effective. But if you expect them to do anything on land, no. They, they don't move that fast on land. They mm. are uh, a nice alternative to bulky uh, cl uh, clothing or remembering to bring enough uh, yeah. uh, food they're items for in here in the cold. Warm. Yeah. Yeah, actually, yeah. They're, they're great for keeping you at a good temperature. They, uh, they regulate you in the heat, too. So They also gather black pearls, but you know, one every now and then or one per fish or something mm -hmm. like that. It's really yeah. not worth using them to gather black pearls if that's your only means to get them. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I was going to say as well is about the, uh, the seagull, the Ichthyonis. Can mm -hmm. it only grab fish? Because someone said to me, um, will you be able to like send it to attack someone to steal their weapon? It's supposed to steal the weapons, I believe. Hmm, because I, I've, I've never been able to try that legitimately. And it's like, because whenever you send it off to hunt or hunt and retrieve, it's so slow. Yeah. I mean, it's glitchy slow, but it's still slow. So have we uh, transitioned to talking about light pets in general? Not just yet. We'll we'll get there. So uh, um, <laughs> I'm excited. So we've got the ichthyornis, which we were just start talking about. Now I believe it's supposed to be able to steal items from players as well, but the, it doesn't have a lot of weight, so it's not yeah. going to be able to grab much if it does. I mean, it's like, I, I keep thinking, like, if I send someone off to a raider, it's got a rocket launcher. As soon as he picks up that rocket launcher, he's going to be grounded if I don't <laughs> buff his weight. Because the Pegamastak is uh, the same way, in, in a way. If you, if you don't level its weight enough, and it steals something out of that person's uh, inventory, it's like, they're just going to be a grounded sitting duck. Yeah. And it's very small, so the hitbox is really makes it difficult to kill as well. Yeah, which is another good thing about it, and then you obviously had the the Pegamastics. Os Secrable said a fast and strong Pegamastics would be interesting to steal the attacker's weapon. Otherwise, I'd breed up a decent Dimorphodon with lots of melee to help in battle. So yeah, mm -hmm. the Pegamastics can steal, but it's a fairly large, one of the larger shoulder mounts, and really oh, noticeable. Yeah, yeah and it's a like pleasant to look at. Yeah, you need to. The only way I can reasonably say that you can use Pegomastax is if you have a lot of natural camouflage. Um, so, like long grass, or like if nobody's bothered to pick up all the plants in your area and use it that way. But even then, it's like as soon as it leaps, you instantly know where it is. Yeah. Um, also, the other thing I was going to say about the Pegomastak and the Ichthyonis specifically is don't you wish that every time they steal 100 narcotic that they should just, you know, fall over asleep? <laughs> because the, the, Ichthyonis oh, will, be so nice. the Ichthyonis eats your narcotic, so naturally they should fall asleep. They just ate 100 narcotic. But yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's my, my view. <laughs> Yep, and then we come to the Dimorphodon. It's small, it's fast, 
it attacks the rider rather than the dino, but it doesn't have a lot of uh, base health. Mm-hmm. And then we, you got the vulture, which is you know some would say the more upgraded version. Uh, the Desert Wolf wrote, if it's for sheer damage, vulture. If it's for utility against mounted players, Microraptor. If it's for messing with people, the Pegamastics. So the vulture is a lot larger than a Dimorphodon, but it has more health mm-hmm. and hit harder. It's also, I, I would say, because of its larger size, it uh, it's a little bit easier to hit with a pike, whereas a Dimorphodon, it's a bit more glitchy. It's, like, more slimmer. Yeah. Um, the other, something I will also touch on as well about the Vulture and the Dimorphodon in particular, very, very useful for the Alpha Tech Cave if you want to do it legitimately. Mm-hmm. Because one of the ways i found is by loading a Dimorphodon up with some stone... Sending it flying out into the over near the lava to attack something, and as it's flying over there very slowly, shoot it with a pheromone dart. All the dinos will automatically bead onto it and naturally just fall into the lava. <laughs> That's a great idea! Holy crap! Um, that is. We did that mostly when we tried doing the Alpha Tech Cave legitimately. By we used it solely on the Gigas because they were like level 480 or something. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it, no, it would take way too long to kill it with our Rexes. So we thought, right, let's see about trying to lure it into the uh, the lava. And three out of the four times we faced a Giga in those caves, uh, it worked. The other one just kind of clipped into the ground and somehow managed to levitate. Man, we totally got to test this. <laughs> Although I just, do like the way you phrase that. You're like, you know, if you're one of those few people that want to do it legitimately... Yeah, yeah arc ingenuity yeah because the one thing i will say is that um you kind of have to uh increase its weight just enough so that you can put like a stack of rocks into it and make it fly slow enough so that your shot will actually register because they're really finicky to hit with a long neck while flying so dimorphodons you know we always talked about dimorphodon clouds we heard stories about dimorphodon clouds and then when the vulture came out, I instantly gravitated towards the vulture because it was, you know, much more HP, much more uh, hit on impact. Though the size was a, a tick against it. But I never took Dimorphodons and Vultures out with me to PvP. I prefer to use them for base defense as a way, as a, an early warning system, and as a way to irritate raiders who were attacking the base while I was yeah. offline. Yeah, I was going to say, I think a lot of people that answered this poll were answering literally in terms of what yeah, they like on the shoulder. But there, some of these dials have like some utility just being around your base. Yeah. Now, light pets. Okay, here's the thing about the light pets. The ugliest of them all is the one you're going to want. If you're bringing a light pet with you, it's the one you might as well be bringing with you. Yeah. The shine that... horn? No. I said ugliest, not most adorable. Shine horn? Don't make me so... skin you. <laughs> That is something that really annoyed me with our aberrations, how they give you this variety of uh, glow pets. And the be- most basic one of all is the best one. It's like there's no variety at all apart from just... Yeah, no matter what, I remember correctly, it doesn't matter what stat you drop uh, drop their points into with a bulb dog, it just gets better returns on everything. Yeah. yeah. So what are the stat differences between the light pets? Because I'm actually not really familiar with it. I haven't bothered to... The bulb dog up. starts with basically more of everything and gets mm. more of everything. Yeah. Uh, from what I understand, the, I think the original intention was to have the bulb dog be best at everything, uh, the shine on to have the largest radius, the feather light was to be the most powerful, and I believe the glow tail was to have the fastest recharge rate. I yeah, think that's that was how. 
that was how it was originally supposed to be, and then Wildcard said, eh, let's just make them all the same. I, I think it was that the uh, Bulldog was technically supposed to be have relatively equal on all of the others. It wasn't going to have an, any advantage or detriment. Okay. Plus, it was going to have lots of health. So, with the yeah. with charge capacity, the Bulldog has the highest when it comes to base charge capacity. Base 200 compared to the Featherlight at 100, and also the Glowtail at 100. The Shinehorn has a 180 base charge capacity. Mm. Charger generation we would be the Glowtail. Yeah, Glowtail yeah. at 200 base charge regeneration as being the highest. Charge emission is pretty much all the same except for Featherlight, which has the smallest yeah. charge emission range. Because Everything the- else is 12 squared. Yeah, because I think the Featherlight, because I, I don't think Charge actually does any difference in damage to um, to Reapers or anything like that. It's But I think the original intention was to have the Featherlight be the smallest radius and smallest charge, mm-hmm. but the most powerful. Because that's the way I look at it from a logical ch- standpoint. Yeah. So uh, Neon Water 18 brought this up because you guys seem to have forgotten about this. Uh are people forgetting that light pets are radars that detect enemy players? Oh, no. good point. So, uh, s- since we're talking about light pets, my only contribution was going to be the one I tend to go out in the field the most with these days is a feather light. And, and the mm-hmm. reason I do is because it has the highest probability of being rescuable after I get killed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, because that's because true. after you die, it'll be flying in the air out of reach of whatever killed you. Sometimes. Um, as opposed to being on the ground just sitting there like an idiot getting eaten by a snake. <laughs> mm-hmm. And some sometimes we're like a PvE server, because we've actually got a mod which disables the uh, death beacon. And uh, having a featherlight fly around you, it's uh, around where your last dies, is basically having a hardcore version of a death beacon. Because especially if it's a bright colored, like bright blue or bright red, you mm-hmm. can easily spot that and it's just flying around your body. Because they don't, they never land, from what my, from what I see. Yeah, that Unless is a missed you... opportunity, by the way. They really should have colored the light pet uh, glow emission. Yeah, I definitely. still don't understand why it's not. So I, I hate my purple, uh, ball, uh, my purple uh, uh, domed bulb dogs uh, with yellow light. It's it's horrible. <laughs> so yeah. when it comes to the light pets, you know, yeah, they can detect enemy players, but the problem is you're lit up like a beacon in order to use that ability. So mm-hmm. you're standing out and people will see you and you're pretty much painted as a target at that point. Yeah. So that's a major drawback. Now, the other thing is that on Aberration, they, the light pets are essential for PvP, especially if you are fighting in the blue zone. You mm-hmm. gotta have them on you. And this is what makes Aberration a lot harder to attack as a server and makes it more easy to defend. You start targeting the player's shoulder mounts, they're going to have the nameless on them all the time. Oh yeah, definitely. I think as well, it's like with the um, taking out the, the glow, t- glow pets, it's like, um, because you can do it in one or two ways. You can either just straight up kill them or you can knock them out. Because mm-hmm. from my experience, the glow pets, even when tamed, don't have great torpor. So that you could technically just shoot one with a trank dart and it will just knock itself out. Yeah. So... Snazzy Raptor wrote, There's no real one pet beats all when it comes to shoulder pets. They have different strengths. However, I think the most useful are the following. 
Light pets can be valuable in large-scale PvP wars in order to counter Reapers, with bulb dogs having the additional ability of having insane weight if you max it. Microraptors can disrupt your enemies by stunning them and locking, knocking them off their mount. Vultures and Dimorphodons, these are tricky because they serve very similar roles and have almost identical stats. Dimorphodons are great for chewing people off the back of dinos due to their higher base movement speed than vultures and the ability to whistle attack this target, which you cannot do with vultures. However, vultures have slightly higher base damage and has the added ability of attacking while still perched on your shoulder to increase your melee prowess. So, with that said, personally, the Mesopithecus is the best, and here's why. It can wear a helmet, so it's much. it can take a lot of damage. It'll warn you when enemies are around with by screeching in your ear. It can throw feces that'll slow down an enemy, and it ha- which also has a damage over time effect. Mm-hmm. But last but not least, 50% weight reduction for anything placed in its inventory. Oh yeah, they, yes. they make... Uh, and make... that's just when they're on your shoulder. Just on your shoulder. And I'm surprised why that we don't see this in PvP, the, the little monkey more in PvP, especially now that flak weighs 30 pounds and you need to carry extra flak with you. Mm-hmm. The monkey. They, they, last little raid I was in, defending and whatnot, uh, since I had a fob and all that uh, set up getting inside their fob, uh, utilizing the monkey, having it set on aggressive and just sitting on your shoulder, its ability to wind up slowing your is phenomenal. It's these guys that are speed builds and whatnot. Because oh, it yeah, makes but... it so much easier to wind up hitting them and killing them. Mm-hmm. Great, it's a great, uh, like I said, great number. Everyone to... who didn't say monkey was wrong. <laughs> it's also a so... great number to take into caves as well, especially alpha cave. I, I found the monkeys also really great for uh, boss battles as well, for carrying extra ammo, extra mm-hmm. rockets, and whatnot. Oh yeah, you know um, the, it's the best in terms of utility and the best for PvP. Not to uh, mention, they are little face biters on the fence. Yes, they are oh, yeah. fast and they are small. Remember so the first time we raided a base and there was a and, there, and they had mo- uh, monkeys. And literally, everyone screamed "Ah, monkeys!" and ran out of the yeah. room. And I had to go in there in full flak or not full flak, full freaking riot with a shotgun. <laughs> I emptied some. Uh, uh, there were like three or four monkeys there. It it took me. So many shotgun shells, and the armor did not survive. Was this yeah. the uh, monkey temple you're so talking about? Fast. The monkey temple yeah, on other state? Yeah. Oh no, no, that one. Uh, that one. We. Uh, that one. Um, the guy who went in there. Uh, the, the guys who actually hit there uh, sent a Rex in and just uh, on whistle. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, the best. It's the way to deal with it. The best combination I've ever faced in a, a skirmish PvP was um, when we raided one guy who I don't know how many monkeys he tamed. There must have been at least 12 of them. But we blew God, up... Got had more this... than that in one corner of the base. We we blew... Well, no, it's the thing was he blew up one wall. We must have killed one of them. They all started to attack us. But as soon as they slowed us all down, then the horde of Microraptors and Dimorphodons came and just <laughs> murdered us all. And, that, and we found that was... Probably the perfect combination for um, base defense dinos, dimorphodons, mm-hmm. uh, microraptors, and uh, monkeys. Oh yeah, because you've got that with sound the uh, horrible. you've got the monkeys for long, well, medium range attack. You've got the microraptor for up close and personal, and you've got the dimorphodon to speed speedily close the distance to the enemy. Mm-hmm. And because uh, the the monkey's poop is uh, semi homing, <laughs> I've seen I've seen homing. one of homing their... poo. 
I've seen one of their poos literally curve to hit me as I was trying to circle strafe around it. And it's like, okay, are, are, they like, are they like pooping out microchips or something in these poops? <laughs> nah, they just learned how to bullet bend, but with balls of poo. Balls of poo. Wanted brown edition. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, those are all the shoulder pets in the game. We've Just be clear, everyone who, except for the 5% of you who voted, you're all wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you guys think the Mesopithecus is not the best, you're going to have to tell me except why. Except on Aberration. That, except that, then you well, you can't bring else. it to Aberration, so that's a moot point. Yeah. The only dinos you can bring are light bulb dinos on Aberration. You can't bring anything else. Hmm. You know, there's supposed to be Dermorphodons on that map. Seen so many posts claiming that they, they spawn in the ceiling, but it, it's just not true. They were, from what I found, they were originally supposed to spawn there, but Wildcard took oh, the them out the last there minute. Is a, uh, the, the, uh, unlike the Megalania, they never even got a skin finished for them, but there is a folder for them in the Aberration Dinosaur, or, uh, in the Aberration Dinosaur files on the mm -hmm. DLC installed in your hard drive. So the folder is still there. There's just nothing in it unlike the megalania which is finished but they never implemented yeah also on a slightly uh similar note to cut content uh sean you'll probably like this i really mm -hmm. do wish that the moth was on aberration but it was to the point where the aberrant moth dropped the mushroom spores and made everyone hallucinate uh, <laughs> oh yeah oh, that would be amazing that would actually be really cool i'm on board i that would one. Oh, I would grieve. I mean, everyone. the Aberrant Moth would be infinitely more improved over the Scorched Earth Moth, of course. Yeah. The problem I see is that uh, they'd probably have to change something about the uh, taming mechanic, I, I would have said. Like, what kind of food could you feed it? Maybe a combination of mushrooms or something. Oh, and give it a tech saddle. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what the moth needs. <laughs> I would be perfectly happy with that. Moth Tech Saddle, which allows you to concentrate all your spores into, like, one injection needle or something. Or a, uh, it focuses it all into a ball that then shoots out and explodes at a specific location. <laughs> Incendi Incendiary-based spore bomb. Any kind oh of light God. source just instantly lights it on fire. <laughs> all right, then. So, listeners, let us know what you think the best shoulder pet in PvP was, whether you agree with us or not. Explain why you do or do not, because we're going to be editing it here, but reminder to the listeners, new and old, the new Arc Avenue segment is here to stay. So ask us Arc-related questions or ask us for advice. If you do have any questions, just leave them in the comment section or in our Discord channel. I'll provide an invite to the channel in the comment section below if you would like to chat with us or hang out. The podcast is also available on iTunes from episode 72 and onwards, so please subscribe to that. And if you would rate and review us, that would be awesome. But it is now time to uh, close out episode 92 of the Archaeologist Podcast. Thank you to our participants, and thank you, Drake, for guesting on our show today. Absolute honor, honestly, considering I've watched nearly every single episode, even from the way, well, way I gotta say, I mean, back. Uh, <laughs> this is our longest podcast in at least two, three months, so <laughs> you definitely <laughs> contributed, man. <laughs> And thank Bye. you guys for listening to us on YouTube. If you have enjoyed this week's episode, feel free to like and share this video and subscribe to the channel. You can also leave comments or questions for us in the comment section below. Goodbye and stay alive, Survivor. <laughs>